One of the biggest concerns for leaders in community-focused organisations is the well-being of their staff. From the Top 5 Movement, this is a leading generous teams podcast, and I'm Claire Desira. As the founder of the Top 5 Movement, I've worked with thousands of leaders and their teams across 40 countries. And while I've seen how exciting it is to lead teams, it can also be extremely challenging, let alone right now. The pandemic has had a seismic impact on community-focused organisations and it's taking its toll on the people working within them. So this show is dedicated to you, generous leaders who recognise that the resilience, mindset and mental health of your teams has never been more important. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. And if you're ready to start building your team's resilience or to help them reset, refuel and recharge, head on over to top5movement.com and see what we have to offer. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of Leading Generous Teams. Today, our guest is the wonderful Simon Griffiths, the CEO of Who Gives a Crap, a well-known Aussie brand that sells good-looking, forest-friendly toilet paper, paper towels, and tissues to people all over the world. Who Gives a Crap donates 50% of their profits to help build toilets for those in need, And as much as Simon loves toilet paper, he started the business for its impact. This company is on a mission to improve access to hygiene, clean water and basic sanitation in developing countries. Since founding the company back in 2013, Who Gives a Crap has donated more than $10 million. Thank you so much for joining us today, Simon. How are you? Yeah, really good. Happy to be here. Oh, terrific to hear. Now, what a full and exciting eight years you've had with Who Gives a Crap. Now, I know as a team, you felt the pandemic well before many of us even realised it was going to be a thing. So tell us about the impact of the pandemic on your team right from those early days. Yeah, I think we probably even, you know, before people expected. So in January, when there were kind of the initial cases in China, we were talking to our um, production partners who we have very close relationships with about, you know, what the impacts were going to, you know, the Chinese government was thinking about how to to start managing the outbreak. So we were, you know, really kind of in the thick of it from the end of January. We saw toilet paper shelves kind of sell out in Hong Kong shortly after that. And then Singapore, I remember meeting up with someone in in February for a coffee in Melbourne who'd just come from Singapore and was telling me about, you know, what had happened there and and how the, the Singaporean government was dealing with everything. It wasn't until, you know, the first day of March that we saw kind of the same thing happen in Australia. And so I think our daily sales kind of doubled that first day of March. Then the second day of March, they were up 5x. The third day of March, 12x. The fourth day of March, 30 to 40 times a regular day of sales, so more than a month in a day, which is not not normal at all. And um, yeah, I think at that point we realized, you know, we, our systems aren't built to with, with volume fluctuations that big. So we were starting to lose track of how much inventory we had for our subscribers and our business customers. And we want to make sure that our subscribers and our business customers never, ever run out of product again. And so we had to move our store to sold out to basically protect our inventory. When we did that, we set up a, an email sign up so you could find out when we'd be back in stock. And we expected a few thousand people to sign up for that wait list, but we ended up with more than half a million people on there. That was kind of when we knew things were a little bit different to what a regular 
March of you know a normal year would look like. <laughs> wow, what a few days! <laughs> Tell me what what has that impact then been like on your team as a as a bunch of humans? You know, you, you've shared before that that you are a bunch of humans trying to run a business, and what an important thing to remember. You're also really famous for having this incredibly high retention rate there at Who Gives a Crap. So what do you do? What do you do to help the mindset and resilience and mental health of your team to navigate changes of that magnitude? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this was a really interesting one because even as an executive team, we were sort of a little bit split on, you know, what action to take. I think our, our supply chain and operations side of the business was was saying, turn it off, you know, we're not going to be able to deliver this many orders. How the hell are we going to recover from this? Whereas our, our marketing and growth and creative teams were, were kind of rubbing their mitts together like we'd hit the jackpot. And so it was a really, um, it was a really interesting sort of dynamic or split in the business, which, you know, one side of the business, I think, knew that we had our work cracked out for us over the next few weeks in particular. And the other side was sort of thinking about, you know, the long-term impact of this and the kind of, you know, potential marketing benefit that had come from it. And so I think, yeah, at at that moment, our team kind of all realized that in a way, this was kind of this moment that as an online business with a distributed team, you know, who were used to working remotely, we would kind of been training for this moment for, you know, the, the five or six years prior. And so it was, it was our time to shine in a way. And if we could, figure out how to crack this problem and get toilet paper to the most people possible. That was ultimately going to result in an amazing donation come end of financial year because, you know, we donate half of our profits to help build toilets in the developing world. As a result, I think our team kind of jumped in head first and started kind of working early mornings and late nights trying to figure out how to, how to crack the problem and eventually realized that we could repack our big 48 roll boxes into smaller packs so we could increase the number of orders that we would be able to ship out. We hired and trained 25 freelancers in a week so we could triple our customer service volume. And then we set up a, a secret invitation-only version of our website and sent just enough emails every day to bring just enough people through that online store to take our warehouses and our couriers to their maximum daily limits. And so we ran you know, this secret online toilet paper club for about eight weeks before we were able to officially come back in stock and had, you know, at that point emailed yeah, over 600,000 people who are on the wait list, which is kind of, you know, a totally crazy phenomenon. And I think the the icing on the cake was coming back in stock. And then a few weeks later, June 30 of 2020, being able to make a $5.8 million donation, which was sort of this amazing outcome that was kind of the pat on the back for the work that everyone had put into up until that point. How incredible to have that. Like you can think of when most teams work together really intensely on a project like that. Maybe they get to kick back at the end of it and maybe have a drink and a high five and and look back on what they've achieved. And not only does your team get to do that, but then they also get to hand over a check for $5.8 million. What a way to celebrate. Unfortunately, we actually didn't get to have the drink. So, you know, the, the sad part of that story is that everyone had worked so hard to get to that point. Our American team were coming into to summer and the case numbers were starting to come down to much lower levels. So people were starting to go on summer holidays, which was great. Our Filipino team were very much, you know, in the thick of a, a, a deep lockdown. And our, our Melbourne team just went into the start of their second lockdown as we hit the end of June. Or, or not the start of the second lockdown, but cases started to skyrocket and we had panic buying kick off. And, and then eventually the second lockdown was announced. And so 
no one actually got to meet face to face and and have that drink together, which was a pretty, you know, sad, unfortunate outcome. But I think probably harder was, you know, people had been expecting that at the end of this, they could take some time off and, and go on holiday and recover. That was certainly the case for our American team, which was great. But certainly our Australian team, you know, most of our team members had holiday plans cancelled. You know, when you're on holiday in Victoria, you try to go somewhere warm. And when you're told that you can't leave the state, it's, uh, you know, a bit of a sad state of affairs in the middle of winter. And so people ended up, yeah, not getting that holiday break that they were expecting. And I think that was what ended up pushing a lot of our team, myself included, really to our limits through, you know, particularly August, September was kind of when we were really feeling it. Yeah, I hear you as a fellow Melbourneite. I, I hear you with that. And so what are you doing then to keep your team connected and and to really support their mindset and resilience during this time? Yeah, I mean, I think as, as I'd said before, we sort of had the advantage over a lot of companies because we had a distributed team. So we did have co-working spaces that we would normally bring the team together one to three days a week or in the Philippines, you know, just once a month because the traffic's so bad, our team didn't want to come together on weekdays and they wanted to do it once a month on weekends instead. And so we sort of had this advantage of we knew how to work in a, in a 100% remote environment, but we were faced with the same challenges that a lot of businesses were, that this is not a typical remote environment. You know, people's kids are home from school, there's a lot of other stuff going on outside of work. It, it was a, a work from home during pandemic rather than a, a remote environment that was what we were used to. And so I think we tried a lot of different things to try to build that that FaceTime and give people the downtime they needed, but also the time to connect with with the other people on their team. And I think we did a lot of stuff that, you know, some of it worked well, some of it didn't work so well. I think mixing extra Zoom calls with drinking alcohol probably was one of the failures where we realized that, you know, our team actually didn't need any more screen time together and and bringing alcohol into the mix just wasn't actually all that productive. So that was kind of one of the fails. I think one of the things that we we did really well was, you know, throughout the, the entire kind of pandemic where it was affecting our team, we were taking weekly kind of check-in surveys to see how the team was going and, and understand how their current current levels of productivity were being affected week on week. And we found that, you know, towards kind of July, August, September, people were definitely feeling it a lot. They weren't doing their best work. I think as an executive team, we knew in ourselves that we weren't doing our best work. And it was because none of us had taken the time to rest and recover that we really needed. As I said before, you know, for the Melbourne team, because they felt like they couldn't go on holiday somewhere. But I think right across the business, there was also this feeling of not wanting to take time off and, and let your other teammates down because we were kind of, at, you know, felt like we were in it together. So as an exec team, we realized that that's not a great place to be. You know, no one was doing their best work. We needed to kind of have a circuit breaker to get us through to, to the holidays at the end of the year. And so we ended up introducing with two weeks notice, basically an, an extra week off for everyone in the team was what we called our, our no week and our slow week. So the no week, we said, if you take one day of leave, we'll give you four days of leave bonus for free. So essentially a, an extra week off. And then the second week, the entire company will have no formal standing meetings. So everything in your calendar will be canceled and we'll have half the company on their no week while the other half is on their slow week. And then the next week we'll alternate. And we did all of that with two weeks notice. So there was no choice to 
try and ramp up work to get things done before taking you know the no and slow week the only choice was to figure out what to deprioritize and what work to move to the next quarter in order to enable us to um, have those two weeks as a company and so the idea of the slow week was that people could then reconnect with their top priorities and figure out how to move the big rocks whatever they were for for that individual and the the no week was really just about giving people that time off that i think we really knew everyone needed ourselves included so that was a i think something that you know a lot of companies have have done that since then so it might not seem all that innovative today you know i know spotify for example is giving all of their team a week off in the first week of november this year but we did this in september last year and it was yeah really kind of revolutionary and something that was incredibly important and well received for our team i think yeah that's incredible i love how you've described that and i love the no week and slow week and you know what, I think there's actually some value in that any time for a business to prioritize an approach like that, just again, to kind of get that mindset and that, like you said, a circuit breaker, we don't just need circuit breakers in pandemics, we actually often need circuit breakers to get out of just the daily grind and those patterns that we don't realize that we're fallen into. So I think there's something to be said about not just doing it in a pandemic as well. Yeah. So so what we kind of took out from that was that people got a lot out of it. And so we started to think about how we could incorporate the ideas of a slow and no week into our everyday, you know, weekly, quarterly, yearly kind of cadence. And so now pretty much everyone in our business has has parts of their week that are blocked out and labeled slow. And people know that that's a time where you shouldn't book meetings with that person because they're trying to get into their their own sort of deep work mode. So for me, that's my entire Monday and my Friday afternoon. And then every quarter, we now have a company-wide slow week where every meeting gets canceled off. People can still collaborate and work on things together, but they're meetings that will be specifically scheduled you know, with both sides opting in in that week. And so it, again, allows people to get into the deep work and move the big rocks that they need to once a quarter. So we've started to think about how we can take those principles and apply it across the business throughout, you know, the rest of the year as well. I love that. Thank you for sharing that really practical example, something really for the listeners, I think, to think about and, and translate into their weekly weekly rhythms as well. Thanks, Simon. So through this big who gives a crap adventure, and I know some of your ventures before this as well, you're often doing things that no one has ever done before. And I know that that would be taking a lot of courage. How, how do you build your uh, mental health proactively and, and look after your mindset? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a, a weird one. I think for me, you know, mental health, I think, comes down to, to feeling really good. And that's really different for every single individual. So for me, I don't feel good unless I am a bit outside of my comfort zone, unless I'm learning and, you know, have uh, that strong kind of growth mindset mentality. And so this is, this is kind of a bit of a balancing act because, you know, if I'm too far out of my depth for too long and I push too hard, then ultimately I'm going to end up in not a great mental health state. But I also know that if I'm staying in my comfort zone for too long, I get bored and frustrated and, and also end up in not a great mental health state as well. So I think I've kind of, you know, learned over the years how to kind of find the balance between those two and get in that, that you know, almost flow-like state for me personally. But I've also, yeah, discovered, you know, the, 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 the problematic side of, of getting that balance wrong and have, yeah, dealt with some of the, the longer-term health impacts of not getting that right as well. So 
really learned that the costs of that just aren't worth, you know, taking taking things to a place where it's not sustainable. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, what do you do to put boundaries in place to help you kind of maintain that fine balance? Because I imagine that you've got to be looking out for certain signs or there's things that you need to be doing to kind of help hold you in that space as 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 comfortably, I guess, and uncomfortably at the same time. So you're out of that comfort zone. Yeah, I, I think what I learned kind of going through some of the harder sort of mental health stuff that, that I have been through over the last, you know, 20 years or so is that often the challenging thing with mental health is you don't know yourself when you're falling into that space. And so you can put guardrails on your calendar or, you know, how you work, but sometimes you will fall outside of those guardrails and you won't realize it. It's someone else telling you that you're not behaving the way that you normally would or that something isn't right. And so what I've actually found is that, you know, for me personally, I realized that my mental health and my physical health are actually very intertwined. When I've kind of pushed myself too hard, I end up having trouble sleeping because I kind of burn through my melatonin. This is getting very kind of, you know, physiological, but what that meant for me is I can put guardrails around my week, but I also need to do regular physical health checkups where I get my hormone levels checked to understand whether things are starting to get out of whack because I'm pushing too hard or not listening to a part of my body that I should be, or, you know, something's just got out of, out of whack in the, in the, you know, three to six months prior. And so I try to do that every quarter in reality, I end up doing that about once every six months. And that gives me a read on what's going on with, with cortisol and, and melatonin, which I've discovered are kind of the two things that have significant, you know, contributing factors to my personal mental health. So I think they're probably the, the biggest takeaways. You know, a lot of the stuff that I do with my regular working week, I think is the standard things that, that people do. So, you know, not working two hours before bedtime, trying not to have screen time in that time, limiting the amount of time I'm working during the day and, and making sure that I'm not working weekends and then slotting exercise in, eating well, sleeping well, doing all that stuff, which I think is kind of relatively well understood but the bigger breakthroughs for me have probably been on understanding what's going on inside my body from a hormone perspective and how that ultimately impacts yeah quality of sleep and mood and well-being and, and everything else and then there's some stuff in the middle like I track sleep with an aura ring and do a few other bits and pieces so I can stay on top of monitoring as well. Wow so much data to work with I love it thank you for sharing that Simon, at top five, we talk a lot about helpful, encouraging and productive thinking or focus when we're working with teams. And I'm curious when you're thinking about your team or yourself, what do you think right now as we head hopefully out of this pandemic in, in some ways, what do you think it's helpful, encouraging and productive to remember? Uh, that's a, a really good question. What, what I think we've probably learned most through the pandemic and, and in the years prior is really about the power of purpose and how if you can find that purpose both in your business but but also at an individual level and connect people deeply into it, then you start to allow people to um, really tightly align on the direction that we should be moving in and, and, and work together to achieve pretty amazing things. I think, you know, we've, we've always known this. It's kind of been a part of our DNA, but but figuring out how to connect our team into that purpose by getting the metrics of the business to 
align to our greater good has been something that we've worked really hard on over the last few years. We probably first read about this, you know, from Dan Pink's drive where he talks about motivation in the workplace coming from not paying people more money. You know, once you have a base level of income, paying people more money doesn't actually improve motivation. Instead, it comes from autonomy where we're setting clear goals and getting out of the way and allowing people to achieve them. Mastery where people are working on core skill sets that they truly care about and purpose where the work they're doing today ties into you know, the greater good of the organization. And so I think you know, every company has purpose. We're really lucky to have that very clearly defined. But I know someone that runs a toy company and they talk about their purpose as, as delivering wows to, to kids and they rally their team around the goal of, of maximizing the wows that they can deliver. And so if you can figure out what that purpose is and align your team and your metrics to that purpose, it becomes this incredibly powerful thing that, that allows you to, to work together and achieve great things. I think we saw that through the pandemic. You know, that was what our special source was in breaking the back of, of the half a million person waiting list that we had. But this is something that, you know, for us goes well beyond the pandemic and, and the lessons that we've learned through the pandemic will inform how we think about strategy and, and metrics moving forward. I love that. Thank you. I, I've read you once shared when business is good, we're all sailing towards that same star. And when the going gets tough, we're anchored through it all by your purpose, which I just think is gold. Simon, we might finish up there. And I'd love to ask you, when you picture generous leaders in in the B Corp world or for purpose space, who comes to mind? Recently, I was super blown away by by Mel and Cliff from Canva announcing that they were putting 30% of their wealth into a foundation. You know, these are some of the most wealthy in inverted commas terms people in Australia who are coming through as, you know, the, the next generation of business people. And I think that prior to that, that move, you know, when you thought about social enterprise, you probably thought more about an organization like who gives a crap or like, thank you, someone who has always had that, that social impact embedded into the business model. And I think what Mel and Cliff have done is shown that, that any business can be a social enterprise if you think carefully about the ownership structure. And so coming back to, to purpose, I think what they've done is they've now unleashed this purpose across their business in a way that is just amazing. And they've done that by being incredibly generous. You know, they've essentially said, we're going to, to dedicate a very large percentage of our wealth to improving people's lives. So to me, that kind of blew me away as just incredibly generous leadership. I think they'll end up basically having the largest foundation in Australia and they're not yet 40. If that's not generous leadership, I, I don't kind of know what, what else is. So that's one that's kind of top of mind for me at the moment. Great example. Thank you. We are big fans of Canva and of course, big fans of the foundation too. So that's all from us today, Simon. You've given us so many recommendations and, and tips throughout your interview today. And I just want to say a big heartfelt thanks and a, a hats off to the generous leadership that you provide your team. Um, so many up and coming B Corps and social entrepreneurs and just generally people in the world. Thank you so much for the work you do. Yeah, thank you. 
It's always so fascinating to dive behind the scenes of cracking leaders and the organisations, and today was no exception. Anyone who's had any interaction at all with who gives a crap as an organisation can quickly feel the fun and the playfulness of the culture through everything that they do. And while these types of cultures can be really fun to imagine, they don't happen by accident. They take a lot of openness and investment and commitment over time. Now, Simon has shared, generously shared many tips and insights today that you might like to experiment with. I know I'll be definitely experimenting with some of those ideas. I wanted to extend on three of the things that Simon shared. The first is the unique ways that our leaders recharge, reset, and proactively look after their resilience. And we often hear from leaders around um, things like exercise, uh, others do journaling, some do things like measuring their sleep, as Simon suggested today with that aura ring, uh, and even a, a suggestion which we've never heard on the, the podcast before around going to the lengths of measuring melatonin and cortisol levels, some really interesting things to explore there. Now, of course, Simon mentioned this, and I'll mention it too, that when it comes to looking after our own physical and mental health, there's never a one a script that works for everybody, of course, and this is we're certainly not providing advice and sharing that anything that any tips that we share are a a script to go by of course it's just about you know that opportunity to share different ideas so that each one of us can make a decision around what is most helpful for us and actually what we've done is uh, we've got a recharge menu which we'd be happy to share with you actually so just email us at, at top five and request a copy of our recharge mindset menu um, that, that and mention this episode and, and we'll be so happy to just share that with you. But what we have on that is is a template that gives people an opportunity to really, pro, really proactively and with commitment collect detail around what it is that supports them to recharge, whether it is in within one minute or five minutes or 10 minutes or over a week if that's the the luxury of time that you've got as well. So it's just about how do each of us understand ourselves better and put together ideas um, and a bit of a menu that we've got to choose from so that we are more likely to take those opportunities to recharge and and proactively build um, our own mental health mindset and resilience, of course. The second tip I wanted to touch on was this uh, couple of weeks that that Simon mentioned, they experimented around no week and slow week. And so really making a conscious effort across the team to deprioritize and to not attend meetings and to really focus on some of that deep work. And so the question is, how can you experiment around bringing this into some of your rhythms? Whenever we're supporting teams and leaders at top five to develop and build focus and results, there's often this assumption that it's about more, more, more. You know, to produce more, you need to do more, be more and have more. But some of the growth that we see in teams is when they actually make a commitment to do less. And some of the ways that our tool works is actually about supporting people to do less. And it's not about sitting around and not doing anything all day, but it is actually perhaps um, around less indecision or less worry or less negative spirals, or less jumping at shadows. And a focus on these things can actually open up a whole heap of space to allow us to consciously reframe and reset to focus on more helpful, encouraging, and productive thoughts available. So with this in mind, I wonder what could you could do less of and what you could take from what Simon shared today uh, about the Who Gives a Crap team and how they approached it and how you could 
really carve out some no time and slow time might be something that that is helpful. I know I'll certainly be giving that a crack myself. The third thing I wanted to comment on was about purpose. You know, you can't really talk about who gives a crap as an organization without touching on purpose. And Simon shared the name of a book uh, called Drive by Dan Pink, which touches on the idea that motivation in the workplace doesn't necessarily come from more pay, but it comes from elements like autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And like Simon and the team have seen, the impact of that, we see this a lot in our work too. And it's really easy to mix up the idea that purpose needs to be creating your own version of who gives a crap. And maybe it is, and that's, you know, that's incredible. By all means, go for it. But purpose can also be as simple as getting in the driver's seat and making some decisions around what type of mindset you want to bring to your team and your loved ones and for yourself as well, of course, and then taking deliberate actions to give yourself the greatest chance of showing up that way. It's really easy, especially at the time that we've recorded this, when we're still living in pandemic times, to feel like everything is out of our control. But each day, even when there's loads of uncertainty, we get to make a choice around how we're going to turn up. And I'd love you to experiment with this, perhaps over the next week. Here's a really easy way to do that. Pick two words that represent how you most want to lead over this time. Perhaps it's leading with purpose and joy every day, or perhaps it's love and focus every day. So I want you to pick those words, pause the episode if you need to, to pick two words on how you most want to lead. And then over the next week, anchor to those words as often as you possibly can. Perhaps it's by writing them down or setting a reminder on your phone that brings those words up front and center. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that you're guaranteeing that you'll feel those things every moment, but it'll give you an opportunity to circuit make or focus on the huge number of micro decisions and chances that you have each day to turn up in that way. I think it's a really great start. So have some fun with that. We talk a little bit more about purpose actually back in our season one episode with Ronnie Khan as well, and also a bonus episode four where I shared some myths around finding your purpose. So we'll link to those in the show notes as well if you want to explore that idea of purpose more. Um, So much gold from Simon today. I think we will leave it there. A big hats off and thank you to Simon Griffiths and the team there at Who Gives a Crap. And we really hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back again with another episode and generous leader for you. Can't wait to see you soon. As we wrap, I want to say a big thank you to all of the generous leaders and their teams out there making a difference in our world. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from the country where this podcast is produced. And of course, I want to say thank you to you, our listeners. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you're ready to start building your team's resilience or to help them reset, refuel and recharge, head on over to top5movement.com and see what we have to offer. Wishing you the strongest mental health, mindset and resilience as you head into the rest of your day. Have a cracking day.